RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to another edition of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. To my right, if you're watching this on video, that is Daniel Galvan. Of course, if you're listening to this on one of the podcasting platforms, appreciate you taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, great way to show your support, rating, review. That helps out so much for us. Of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell. You kind of know the, the routine. Uh, really would appreciate that. If you leave a comment, we'll uh, we'll get to you in the comment section. But, uh, of course, uh we are here. It is a pay-per-view fight week for the UFC, UFC 275, Saturday night here in the United States. It'll be Sunday morning, first fight in Singapore, 6.30 a.m. local time, 10 o'clock East Coast time here on Saturday night. So the normal pay-per-view time slot on Saturday night. So we'll get into UFC 275 later on in the show. We'll have our WTF story of the week, which I will tell you, Actually got text me about two hours before we started recording this show. Also, we'll talk about a uh, pretty noble uh, fight booking the UFC has put together. Also, uh, play you two comments from UFC president Dana White as he was on Barstool Sports. Talk about various things. Let you hear what he had to say about uh, his response to Dyson Figueredo not liking the fact that they've booked an interim flyweight title fight. Also, whether or not he's on board with maybe some having some fighters coach ultimate fighter that may not ultimately fight each other. So uh, interesting comments there from Dana White. Daniel, uh, always great to be here on a Wednesday uh, late, uh, early afternoon here talking a little mixed martial arts action. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great, man. I've, I've got some great energy, bro. I have a great story, and, and I told you this, man. You know, we do this podcast every single week for God knows how long. I would be very interested to know how many podcasts we've done in total. Like, at some point, we're going to hit our 1,000th podcast and not even know it, but we just continue to grind. And I got a great story, bro. I was at the gym, uh, not to brag, because obviously my body hasn't changed over the years. I've My chicken wing diet has kept me where I'm at, but I was at the gym, and a guy named Julio came up to me and said that he listened to the podcast, which that is the first time that's ever happened to me. I don't know if uh, it was a practical joke. He doesn't actually listen if somebody saw me and wanted to play a joke on me. But, dude, I'm just kidding. He was a he was an awesome guy that made me feel amazing. He's picking Yuri to win this Saturday, and I just wanted to mention it. That was uh, that was a very interesting and cool experience. Yeah, I got God knows how many podcasts I've done at this point. <laughs> I'm, yeah. sh- I'm sure it's probably north of a thousand. I'm sure it probably is. I mean, when did, when did you start? 2009. 2009. Okay, 2009. How many years is that? Like uh, 13 years? 13 years? 52 weeks? Sometimes you, well, for you, you're definitely past a thousand. Yeah, so I. Not only do you do this podcast, I believe you do an awesome show for every sport, including lacrosse. Yeah, I, uh, I started back in 2009 when I was working for Terrestrial Radio, and, and podcasting was nowhere near what it is podcasting now. And, you know, and, and so I was basically just doing podcasts. Uh, you know, I was basically told, post as much as you want. So I just, uh, at that time, it was called In the Cage with Jason Floyd. And, uh, oh, wow. I went, and uh, I'm pretty sure Uriah Faber was my first guest. Can you get him back on the show? I'm sure I could. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's I mean, a, that's. He's now yeah. he's now a fight promoter, man. He's doing uh he's doing local shows there in Northern California. Yeah, everyone's a fight promoter. I mean, uh, 
even uh, you know Jorge Masvidal out here with his own fight promotion this past weekend. Bro, did you see that knockout by Bo Nickel? Oh yeah, it was brutal. And then to cap it off, he had that great interview on Ariel Hawani, and it's just like, oh, my ears are perking up. This is supposed to be a guy, isn't he? Right? Like whenever if a guy is on Ariel's show one fight into his career, chances are he's on that Aaron Pico, uh, John Jones, Henry Cejudo, Cain Velasquez pipeline. And I think for Bo Nickel, that has to be the thought, right, Jason? Like this is the uh, next hot prospect that you could see possibly holding the championship in a, in a major promotion soon. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, he's going – someone's going to offer him a ton of money. I'm sure Bellator probably has. It wouldn't surprise me they have not. I mean, the funniest part of the interview, I saw a clip where basically he, Bo is basically like, hey, Ari, remember that time that you told my people you didn't want to interview me? Yeah, and Ariel's kind of deflecting, but he's like, no, I was literally there listening to you on speakerphone talk, talk to the manager. And then Ariel's like, well, look, I can't – you know, every manager has 100 guys that are the next Bo Nickel. Right, he can't have everyone on the show. He wouldn't have viewers. But yeah, that was a funny interaction. But listen to that interview. To me, it's pretty clear that Bo Nichols probably UFC bound after two more wins. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those things. And like we'll talk about Yuri later on the show because you know he he talked about you know he's talked about this in the past. But the fact of you know the UFC offered him a contract well before he even signed with the UFC, but he wanted to develop his skills. He felt he just wasn't ready to get into the UFC. And, and I think that if you're Bo, I mean you know I mean the question's got to be is you know how quick is too quick? I mean look, I'm sure Bellator's made a, a massive offer him, but man, he is a guy that I mean he's he's a real deal. There, there's no doubt about. About it and uh you know i mean look it's you know, there's it's it's just that question of how quick is too quick but you know the thing where i wanted to start this show off this week was it was on i want to say it was monday night um sitting here in the office i'm i'm editing some videos together and uh, to the screen to my left i have the tv on and and I'm kind of flipping through. I wanted to watch some live sports. And so I saw that the MLB Network had this thing called Clubhouse Edition on. And essentially what it was was uh, the MLB version of Manicast. I mean, that's about the best way to put it. It was with a host and three uh, former players all in studio with them. It was CeCe Sabathia, Cliff Floyd, and Yonzer Alonzo. And it was amazing. Just like they're, they're sitting there and the game was the the Mets and the Padres. Cause I, one thing I remember is Blake Snell, who's like 40 pitches deep into the first inning. And basically CC Matthew is just like, bro, just throw a fastball down the middle, make <laughs> them hit it. You know, you, why are you putting your pitch count out of this crazy? But it, it made me think like I was sitting there, I'm like, man, as someone who I don't watch a ton of baseball at this point in my life, unless it's daily fantasy sports related, I just, I just don't, but it was like really intriguing to watch. And then it kind of, it just hit me like, man, you know, we all know that all these promotions are trying to get fans to their product when your initials are not UFC, whether you're Bellator, your your PFL, your one championships, whoever it may be. By the way, I don't know if you saw one championship, uh, the rematch of uh, 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 DJ's rematch is going to be the first Amazon Prime card. I don't know if you saw that. I just throw that one out there. But it made me think, like, if you're Bellator, like, I think this is something you should do because I feel like if you put the right people on the broadcast, the people that could be great storytellers, but could also kind of have a, a good uh, color analyst of what's going on during that live fight. I felt like it would be great. And I told you, we were texting about this. 
because like, initially I was like three or four Bellator fires, but then and the more I, th- I started to think about this, like I just don't know if you have enough star power to get people to that broadcast. Now, in terms of the hosts of the broadcast, I, I threw a Jimmy Smith to you, but I'm like, yeah, I probably like we don't even went loud. But a name came to me that I was like, oh, he'd be the perfect host. Who's He's that? Got hit. He has history of Bellator. He's in television. He's in sports. He's involved in the MMA community. Jay Glazer. Yeah, Jay Glazer is a perfect host for that type of show because he really has that personality that I think works well in that relaxed sitting on your couch with some really smart MMA friends type atmosphere. I, I dig that. I almost feel like you you can go with the host. I mean, the Manning cast works without a host. It can go either way, regardless of the host, the focus has to be on the guest. And it would be an interesting idea. And it, it for Bellator, it comes down to what's your ultimate goal, right? Is your goal, this broadcast wants, we want it to bring in new fans to our product to watch it. If that's your goal, then Jason, you got to swing for the fences. You can't put Bellator fighters on there. You have to find someone who is a star or who has an audience that will bring in new people. We're talking about big names. Like we talked about maybe George St. Pierre, whenever they're done with the UFC, the Diaz brothers, whenever he's done with the UFC, Jorge Masvidal, Bellator original. That's the type of name you would have to bring in to bring in new viewers to your product. You know, maybe one day down the line, Joe Rogan, if he's ever on the outs with the UFC, that would be the biggest get of all time. But that's something that I don't think maybe would work for Bellator because I don't think the amount of money it would cost to sign these talents would pay the dividends in terms of bringing in new viewers. So honestly, Jason, I kind of went back to maybe a broadcast with Bellator fighters is the way to go. Because with Bellator, maybe the you can make the product so entertaining that people will watch it and stick with it. You may not get that initial casual uh, inception, but maybe it can build a reputation of a really good broadcast. Obviously, no one's going to be inside the NBA, but maybe if you go for the broadcast quality versus the famous person, if you get and and you couple that with fighters that are on your roster, so people become fans of them like A.J. McKee and Raphael Stouts, Jason, I think that might be the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I just, I was looking at, and, like, I love those, as someone who's in play-by-play broadcasting, I love those broadcasts, because the one thing is, I feel like, when I, I, when I was watching the MLB one, like, I felt like I was learning something about the game. Like, there's a part where, um, you know, they're, they're talking about, C.C. Bathy is talking about, uh, hitters that just gave him problems and like one guy he mentioned was evan longoria he goes and, and, and the host ends up bringing up that like evan i think had a lifetime batting average like 412 against him or something like some just crazy number and, and it, it felt like i felt like i was learning something and, and i think like if i was bellator i'm not saying they're going to do this but it was just something that kind of came to my mind of like if you're looking to get people more interested in your broadcast i feel like for a bellator they would do that i'm actually pretty shocked the ufc has not done this already yeah i they have so many people on their roster uh people you know i, I listened to aaron blanchfield who just got that win last week on the emmy hour with ariel hawani and she talked about how she's going for a broadcast degree she took some time off college and you have fighters on your roster that are interested in being broadcasters so if you had a fighter cast 
you could bring in, you know, big names to host the show, but also someone like Aaron Blanchfield to be a part of it for a little bit, like the Manning cast. And it helps you build up your fighters, especially for fight nights that aren't super interesting. Like maybe this past weekend or any fight night that's in the apex. Personally, I would be the type of person that would rather watch a fighters cast of an apex card and then watch the real broadcast for major pay-per-views. That being said, the UFC broadcast is always great, but you know, the UFC has a large roster of guys that can put in that fighter cast role. I like wonder like if they did one for this Saturday's pay-per-view since Joe Rogan is not going to be in Singapore. What if you had an alternate broadcast where it's Joe sitting in a studio in Texas and he's joined by like three fighters. I have a feeling more people would be interested in watching that broadcast as opposed to the traditional play-by-play broadcast. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like because of Joe's popularity that I think more people might be drawn to that. I think that's true just because Joe has such a popularity, right? Like the amount of downloads he gets on his podcast are so big. Like people would probably subscribe to Joe Rogan farting uh, for an hour straight. And, and they, they might have bigger viewership than the pay-per-view. So I just think because of Joe Rogan's popularity, that would work. I mean, at the end of the day, the UFC sells a pay-per-view where you buy it normally, and then you buy the Joe Rogan feed. I think the normal pay-per-view will outdo the Joe Rogan feed, but you can't discount Joe Rogan's popularity. For the UFC, they do do a good job of putting some of their most interesting fighters in the commentary booth, right? Like the names that you would want on that broadcast are already doing commentary for the UFC, Michael Bisping is someone who would be great, but he's already doing color commentary. But, you know, there are so many names. Like if you're Bellator, you know, a name like Rampage Jackson comes to mind, just an entertaining character who you could possibly get. And when you're looking at that host role, a couple other names, I don't know what his contract's like, but to me, one of the most underrated broadcasters is Sean O'Connell. He is just phenomenal, and he's someone I would look at. Even someone, you know, these fighters turn broadcasters like Josh Thompson and Kenny Florian, et cetera. Those are guys you could put in that Jay Gleaser type role where they're a former fighter, but they can maybe know how to direct traffic because they've been in the broadcast world on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were going to, if you're a Bellator, I think, I mean, look, I'm not a, a Bryn Schaub listener. Um, we'll play a clip from a show here in, in a little bit. But like to me, he has a big following. That may be some guy you might consider bringing into that type of role. But I just, it, it was one of those things, and, and Aaron Bronster, because I tweeted about this, and he brought up a really good point. He said, you know, hey, it may take away from the main broadcast, which, uh, you know, I can see from the, from the advertising aspect. But I, I was, just, it was for me, it was more of thinking, like, if I'm Scott Coker, I'm, you know, everyone involved in the Bellator production staff, and I'm thinking about how do we get more eyeballs on my product? And because, I mean, look, we're, we're seeing this type of broadcast is now happening all over the place. I, honestly, where I think where this originally started, even though we give, you know, the Manning cast all the credit, I think it really goes back to uh, the college football national title game where ESPN has all those feeds. And I want to say it's usually like on ESPNU where they have, you know, several current co- head coaches in a studio watching the game. I think they call it like film session and especially them breaking down. It's a really interesting thing. And so, um, but you know, I wonder how soon we could see this in, in terms of MMA of, you know, because I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, I, I guess I should say this for me as a viewer, when I'm listening to a play-by-play broadcast and particularly when I'm listening to the color analysts, I want to feel like I'm learning something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that type of broadcast can help not only teach you something, but 
be fun and entertaining. And that's maybe the mix you want to go for. You know, I think the college football playoff is definitely where it started. I remember watching those coaches' rooms and sticking on that part of the college football broadcast for a while. And, you know, Aaron's comments are are, are smart, but I would just say I think for Bellator, their, their initial main broadcast, to me, I wouldn't be happy with the viewership I have now and the penetration I have on the MA landscape with a lot of my main cards on Showtime. I would look to find ways to get more eyeballs on my product. Because right now, if I'm Bellator, I wouldn't be content with where we're at. So that's why it's important to try these different avenues because you never know what might actually catch on and work. But at the end of the day, people are going to watch the product for the product itself. Like you can have the most entertaining guys on in the world, but if they're not interested in your main car, they're not going to tune in because there are so many content options, Jason. You can choose to listen to your favorite comedian on his podcast or you can choose to do anything. So it, it's really just going to come down to are the fights worth watching more so than anything else. Yeah, the thing that's really stuck out to me about Bellator as we're heading into the summer months here is just a lack of shows. They've got the show on, on June the 24th, but then you know I know there was an article on MMA Junk Day. Nolan King talked about the, their upcoming events, and it's just not a lot of events, which is kind of interesting to me of why that – that potentially may be, but we'll see what happens there. Of course, uh, UFC Vegas 56 was last weekend. Of course, a uh, headline by Alexander Volkov taking on Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Of course, uh, on the interview uh, episode that I did uh, on Sunday, I kind of gave some of my thoughts on this one. I, I'll get your thoughts. I had no problems with the stoppage in the main event. No, he was complete. He was out on his feet, and it was a clear stoppage. I mean, we that was that was a good stoppage. And yeah, Jairzinho was aggressive, and it was a surprising result. To see Volkov finish him in the first round. I guess the change in camps really worked, dude. I mean, I can't imagine being Alexander Volkov and having Jairzino blitz you like that and be aggressive. I would absolutely poop my pants. But he kept himself steady, and he landed some nice counters. But, yeah, that was uh, – that was to me, that was a fair stoppage. I mean, dude, the other stoppage that was really weird on that card was uh, – Oh, it, I thought he got knocked out by the cage, but it was the the punch. It was uh, Gravely and Johnny Munoz. What a wild knockout that was. It wasn't, like, amazing looking. But, like, Johnny Munoz kind of hit the cage in the back, and then he shot in for a takedown. And Tony Gravely was like Bruce Lee, where he hit, like, a one-inch punch. But it was that one-inch uppercut. And uh, Munoz's lights were out. But Munoz, Jazirno, bro, both those dudes were out. So was Zaruk Adeshev from Ode Osborne's big uh, big right, I believe, on him. Yeah. That was, yeah, you talk about you know fires making uh, camp changes. Ode Osborne, you see what John Wood at Syndicate MMA has been able to do with him since he came to Las Vegas from Milwaukee. His last two fights, man, he he has looked absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, you speaking about uh, terrifying things. How about I mean Alonzo Minifield just starting off the fight and just coming out with a bomb and then uh, letting Askar know, hey bro, this ain't boxing. This is mixed martial arts. I'm gonna take your ass down. I'm gonna beat you up. And by the way, I'm gonna put some more punishment because you've uh, lied about your record, which was that that whole debacle last week was wow, uh, unbelievable. I, there, I, I didn't know how big of a deal this was. This line of the record when you brought it up. After he'd brought it up, I read these articles about how Askar Mazarov's like team was involved in this, how he changed his name, and that maybe could be explained to the dialect and stuff like that, not necessarily uh, you know, bad choices. 
But this was a crazy story. Then there was a story about how he had to deny that he had a tattoo similar to Conor McGregor, but like a gorilla with a crown is pretty damn unique. Yeah, it was crazy. Menafield was pissed, dude. He, uh, it was, it was a only an MMA type story. I would imagine Mosser, I was done with the UFC. Man, Menafield looks like a freaking like Mr. Olympia, bro. Great body on Menafield. I mean, just, uh, but he also didn't get too emotional, dude. Like he landed his punches. But he knew how he was going to win with his wrestling. Yeah, man. Once he got that crucifix position, it, it was only a matter of time before he was going to go out there and get the finish. And, man, just an impressive performance by him. Also, uh, got to give some kudos to Carolina Kovacavich. Gets her first stoppage win in the UFC. Her last stoppage win, Daniel, came eight years ago in 2014. And, of course, leading into this fight, Fleece Herrig had made comments that, hey, if I can't get the win here, Maybe it's time for the next chapter uh, of my life, and she is going on to the next chapter uh, in her life, and so we'll see there. And, and I was thinking about, like, you think about, like, you talk about pioneers of women's MMA, and, like, and Ben folks, I thought on his podcast, he brought up a really good point of, you know, before women got into the UFC, there were a lot of people that kind of looked down on Felice Harrigan in this industry because she was probably one of the first ones who really used sex appeal to help uh, brand herself in this community. Yeah, she would use like um, she would dress up in, in like different costumes for like the way ends of like various characters. She's someone who was on billboards like as like a model for like some company that like, they used her picture. I don't know if they use a stock photo or whatever, but Felice Herrig is someone who like put some respect on her name because she's uh, been competing in this sport for over a decade. And I do think if you make a list of the most famous female fighters, it would be kind of surprising. You wouldn't have to go through too many names until you got to Felice Herrig. Uh, yeah. So respect on Felice. She had a long career. You know, she had two surgeries and a couple years layoff to come out here and fight the best version of Double K. Uh, so, yeah, shout out to Felice. I mean, she was a part of the women's MMA revolution that she was competing in, in, in mixed martial arts before we had a women's division in the UFC. She made it to the UFC on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, she started off her career pretty good in the UFC with five wins in her first six fights and ultimately – you know, she calls it a career, but it's worth mentioning her because, again, she's someone who deserves a lot of credit for being a known fighter. And it was up to her to market herself and make herself known and make herself a commodity. And that's a lesson to be learned from any fighter. She was able to make herself a known fighter before she fought consistently for Bellator. I, my introduction to Felice Herrig was when I was working in terrestrial radio back in 2011. She fought here in Tampa against Carla Sparza, who is now one of her best friends. A uh, fight that uh, Carla utilized in wrestling, also got a decision winner XFC. That was that was pro that might have been the very first regional promotion I covered as a reporter. And uh, man, it was weird, man. I just I remember like I get there and like I had, I. Had, talk to the promotion leading up to it. And then I get there and it was just like, Oh yeah, you can sit right there. Like literally right next to a judge. Yeah. That's crazy. And XFC, man, that's a, a noble promotion too to get that access. And man, I'm looking at this card, bro. You saw an XFC 15, bro. You saw Nick Newell fight. He got a heel hook submission around one. And also Marlon Murray saw it on this card. He won a unanimous decision, bro. Yeah, so I'm just looking at this card now. Um, wow. 
You may not have remembered Marlon Moraes because I don't know. I think he may have been the opening fight. So according so, to Tapology, he was the third fight on this card. I definitely yeah. here. Here's a crazy one. Phil DeRue, who's a strength and conditioning coach down in South Florida. He was in the opening fight of the night. He lost. Uh, um, but yeah, man, XFC, you know, they were, you know, when they were at that time, they were a Tampa based promotion. It's gone through multiple ownership changes over the past you know decade or so. And uh, they would, I mean, literally, it was one of those things of like, there'd be times like they would promote about how many people they had in the building, but it was like, they were just giving free tickets away. I mean, yeah. they, were, they were just trying to get people in the building, but yeah, man, uh, that was, that was my introduction. Chris Barnett now in the UFC, he fought on their, their shows a lot of massive tickets over here locally. But yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be interesting. Like, honestly, like to kind of go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, like if I was Bellator in a Manning cast, Felice Herrig might bring viewers. Yeah, it'd be good to give opportunities to, to females uh, because, like, so often we just think men, 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 men. But, you know, Felice Herrig deserves opportunities like that if she wants them. So I think, yeah, that would be good. And she has experience fighting in, in Bellator. So it makes a lot of sense, man. I think the other thing that jumped out to me, Jason, on this card was the judging, bro. Uh, the oh. judging was all over the place. I mean, look at the viral. No, movement. judging? No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, look at that moment of Jeff Molina, dude. <laughs> yeah when the 30 30 27 scorecard like crap i lost dude <laughs> you know you're judging screwed up when that happens right yeah like fighters believe their own farts smell good they think they won every single round when a guy thinks he lost because he heard 30 27 you know you had a bad scorecard that, that to me was a bad scorecard i mean i had uh i get it i feel like guys get punished for trying to wrestle like, I feel like if a guy grabs a body clinch and puts you against the cage, he's just getting negative points now. Like, judges are now looking for any reason to not give him a round. That's what I felt like happened with Zalgis uh, Zumagala. Because in round one and round two, in round one, it was a lot of of uh, body control from Zalgis against the cage, and Molina landed a couple of strikes. But I didn't feel like Jeff Molina landed enough significant strikes to be like a, like an advantage in the damage. He landed more damage, I guess, but it wasn't a wide gap. Like It wasn't like he was lighting up Zalgis. And I believe in the second round, Zalgis drops Molina in addition to the positional control. So, Jason, it feels like when we're watching these fights, when a guy looks to wrestle – it's almost like in the judge's mind, it's like, well, now I'm not going to give him the round. If the other guy lands two significant jabs, he's winning this well, frame. You have to remember damage is the most important aspect of the scoring system. But like, okay, if you dominate a fight positionally, but you slightly win via damage, you just give the round to the guy who slightly won via damage. Damage is the most important is the most important aspect of it. Well, I know it's the priority, but it's like. Like but, in, but every, I, I, in, I, in every in every round, somebody's going to land more damage, right? And but, every Jason, if we fight and I jab you one time and you jab me zero times, I have done more damage. Correct. But you put me against the cage with a body lock clinch because I do more damage. I don't win ten nine. I don't think that's the rules. So there's a there's a balance. Yeah, the question like becomes is like if, if me and you are fighting, you take me down or I take you down, and let's just say I control you down there for three and a half minutes just to throw a, a time frame. But then you come out, you get it. You you're able to work your back up and then you land this four or five punch combination on me. They're going to wait. That's going to be viewed more. Most likely. I, I guess that makes sense to me. I, I understand that. I, I think it comes down to is 
ultimately for me, at least the way I view judging is if I take you down, what do I do with that takedown? Do I sit there and am I like a Habib or Magomedov and I'm constantly just working, advancing that type or, you know, not to, you know, rail more on this guy, but, or am I Logan story against Michael page? Yeah. And in this fight, it's not even like Zalgas took him down. I just watching those rounds. I felt like he won round one and two, but it's, you know, we were aware of the system, but I mean, even in the other fight, uh, Selecki versus, uh, who did Selecki fight? Uh, Alex De Silva. Uh, one of those rounds, the third, the third round. Okay. I don't know how Sal Diamato scores a third round for Joe Selecki. Um, I, I think with that fight, massive kudos goes to Chris Tione for taking a point away from Alex De Silva in the first round when he had constantly warned him about, you know, curling his toes up into the cage. And one thing that I really love what Chris Tione did there is he takes a point while they're still working because he doesn't want Joe Selecki to lose the position. Um, by the way, in the very first night uh, fight, Mark Smith, um, God, who was, I forget the fire that uh, just kept grabbing the cage over. Oh, and over. he must've oh, yeah. warned him like nine times. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that needs to be an immediate point deduction. It's just too annoying. And it happened in back-to-back fights, the, the cage grabbing. Yeah. Was it Michaelitis maybe was uh, the cage grabber? Yeah, it must've been. Uh, yeah. I think it was, it was a, and it like, yeah. it was just one of these things of like, I mean, like how many times do you warn a guy? Cause you know, commissions say that the first warning is not in the cage. It's actually in the back during the instructions. And it was just one of those things of like, come on, Mac, the guys continue to grab the fence. Like, you know, the, the to me, the Selecki De Silva fight is it's to me, it was kind of an easy fight to score. I thought the first and third rounds were for De Silva and the second round was for Selecki. And like Selecki, the second round was a dominating round. The the damage just was not there, I think, from a an aspect of saying it's a 10-8 round. So I thought 28-28 was a scorecard, but right before it was red because it was taking so long, I was like, here comes a 29-27. I saw it coming. Because mm-hmm. yeah. when, when it takes that long, because I don't know what it is of, of why we take so long to add up scores when we're working with 10s and 9s and 8s. Yeah. Like we all, we all have a calculator right on our phone. Yeah. Yeah. You could, you could, you could give me a math problem quickly. I'll probably be able to give you the answer, Jason. I mean, it's just like, uh, yeah, whenever it is funny how it like, it shouldn't take that long. It should take, it should take five seconds. Right. It, but maybe they're just double checking. That'd be a good question to ask somebody. Why does it take so long? You know, maybe there's an answer that we're not thinking of yeah, uh, I don't know. why it takes so long. But yeah, I think, um, I think the only the last point on this card is just one simple thing. Mobster Evlov. Woo! Dude, outstruck Ige and then secured takedowns to make sure he won fights. I mean, just uh dominant performance from Mobster in the featherweight division. This guy is a straight up blue chipper. Yeah, and I don't know where Dan Ige goes from here. I mean, I, I that's yeah. I mean Absolutely. I mean, the dude is just razor tough. I mean, you just can't finish this guy, but I, I really don't know uh, where he goes from there. But Evelev, I like I like the Arnold Allen call out saying, hey, I'll fight you in London. I mean, I think that card is pretty filled up right now, but uh, I, I did like uh, that call out there from him. Uh, I'll mention about a fight booking uh, that got announced here uh, over the past couple days, or at least is in the works. Dominic Cruz, Chito Vera, August the 13th location. 
to be determined. But man, that's a great matchup at 135 pounds. Yes, sir. That's a great fight. And I'm very much looking forward to it. A great opportunity for Cheeto Vera that he definitely deserves. And uh, hats off to Dom Cruiser for taking that fight. He has a lot to lose there against a guy who's just uh, Vera's looking like he's gaining for a championship opportunity. I mean, can we can it, will anybody fight my guy Marab? Why would they want to? I mean, he's <laughs> he's a he's a he's a downright. I mean, he's an uncrowned champion. I mean, the fact like so there was some rumblings that the UFC wanted to do Cruz versus Davish Vili. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. And you know, Aljamain Sterling comes out over the past couple of days saying that. He will move up to 145, so Marab can win 135. I guess Marab joked about going to flyweight. Uh, as Coach Ray Long was like, uh, no, he is not going to flyweight. Yeah. We are not doing that. And, and Aljo is a massive, uh, he cuts a lot of weight to make, make 135 pounds. But, uh, man, that Bantamweight division, I, I look at, like, you look at the UFC and the Bellator Bantamweight division. I mean, both these divisions are just stacked. Uh, you know, in the last episode, of the podcast had Danny Sabatello on. He made his case why he believes the Bellator Bantamweight division is the best division. I don't know how many people outside of Bellator would uh, agree with that statement. I think people would still say uh, it's the UFC. And uh, God, I Sabatello is a funny dude, man. I I love interviewing that guy. Always good conversation, especially the conversation uh, towards the end of that, where we're talking about uh, should uh, we do a shot game every time he says the F-bomb in an interview? We might be blacked out drunk by the time the interview's over. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> but he's like, he's like, he's a character and he's so fun to talk to. And, uh, I mean, God, I mean, if you t- like, I feel there's probably people out there right now that might think he's the, he's the under the radar favorite to win that tournament now. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy you picked early on to advance farther than expected and, so far, it's looking good, Jason. I get the sense that he wants to knock out Leandro Higo. Um, yeah. I did. And of course, if people did not see the interview, it's on the la- if you listen on the audio aspect, it's on the last episode. Uh, if you watch this on video, it's right here on the Amir Report uh, YouTube channel as well. But um, you know, I, I did ask him. I said, "Go, hey, what if Higo misses weight?" And of course, we've seen that's been a problem for Leandro Higo. And he goes. He goes, look, he goes, I will fight him regardless, whether it's in the cage or it's in the parking lot. We are going to fight on June 24th. Wow. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. I mean, he's, I, I, I mean, look, I'm sure if you're Rafael Stotts, you're, I would guess Stotts is already probably prepared for Danny Sabatello. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like probably, but he may not even be thinking about it. It's got to be made about self-improvement, but yeah, you're right. I think, is he a favorite in that fight, Sabatello? I don't think the um, betting uh, uh, odds have come out yet. I would, I would imagine Sabatello is going to be a, a sizable favorite in that fight. Wow. Yeah, surprising, but not so much when you actually do the matchup and then the analysis. Yeah, usually when it comes to Bellator betting odds, those things usually don't come out till like the week of the fight. Mm, it makes sense. Or for, just, PF, yeah, for PFL, it's usually the week after the fight. I don't even know if DraftKings is even offering odds on it still, <laughs> man. Yeah, I doubt it, man. I doubt it. I feel like once you burn a bridge like that, it's really freaking hard to do the proper uh, repair on that. Yeah, yeah, man, that's 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 a bad look for P. It's still a bad look for the PFL. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting there. Um, so about two hours before the show started, um, I've, you know, I'm sure you're involved in group text, right? Yes. So I've got a group text with my buddies that we, we like to call, we, we have been nicknamed the United Nations because we're all different nationalities. Okay. And so they send me this story and I mean, look, 
this is the WTF story of the week, Daniel. I mean, there, there is no question about it when it comes to this one. It is clearly the WTF story of the week. And it involves Bryce Mitchell's appearance this uh, on the most recent episode of the Shab Show. Of course, you can check that out over on Brandon Shab's YouTube channel. And uh, so it's an MMA Weekly story that the headline is Rising UFC star Bryce Mitchell believes the government was involved in Texas school shooting. So I didn't want to read the quote. I want to let you hear what Bryce Mitchell said to Brandon Schaub on the Shab Show. You know, with this gun control stuff going on with these mass shootings, it's obviously a hot topic right now. And, you know, I, I'm sure you're pro Second Amendment, pro gun, which I am, too. I'm a gun owner. I have, you know, probably six, seven guns. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's a dicey subject, man. It, it, it's a little dicey. And I I always lean towards, uh, uh, you know, my father in law was a cop for 30 years. I'll talk to, to him a lot about it. Um, Tim Kennedy is a good buddy. So I'll talk to Tim Kennedy about it, who's much more educated on this stuff. Where, where are you at on this? Well, you know, I did a interview with um ariel helwani mm -hmm. and i went on there and i said that the the government is doing some school shootings they're letting some of them happen and they're also in, like the las vegas shooting i believe that that was a government collusion the las vegas shooting was too suspicious too, uh, too, too many things didn't line up and anyway so i, I went on ariel's and i said that okay mm -hmm. a couple months later you got in Ovade, uh texas uh, he gets an AR. Is this kid, maybe not, but a, a guy who's dressing up like a girl. It's, he was a kid. I guess he was 18 years old. And he's, I don't know if he was or what he was, but he dressed up in skirts and stuff. And he goes in with his AR 15 and starts killing people in the school in Texas. Okay. Fourth graders. Yeah. The police off the, the police officer sit outside for about an hour. And they're, they're saying, oh, well, we got we don't know if we want to enter because of this. We don't have enough armor. We don't have enough. Those kids don't have any armor. Those kids mm -hmm. are unarmed and they're kids. And it, it is those officers, when they, when they swear in the office, those officers, it's their duty to go in there and die for those kids on the spot. Correct. That's their job. It's, their job that day was to go in that school and die or kill that guy that was killing everybody. Mm -hmm. And there should have been zero hesitation, zero. And ex I'll say the exact same thing that I got censored for on Ariel Hawani's. The government is getting involved in some of these shootings. And in this one, I believe they were ordered to stand down. I believe they were ordered to stand down, sit outside that school while innocents were shot so that they could have a narrative to come and take AR-15 specifically. And I'll say it again, what I said on Ariel's, I will die before I hand over that gun. I'll die in a shootout before I get starved to death. Cause mm -hmm. as soon as they take your guns, they're going to starve your ass to death. Mm -hmm. Just like they did the Jews back in, and Ariel, Ariel was hating on me. Ariel was saying that, he, well, he wasn't exactly hating on me, but he said I was spreading misinformation. Well, let me tell you a fact, okay? Government, government took the guns from those uh, citizens in Germany before the Nazis came a couple years later, mm -hmm. rounded them up and starved them to death. So I'm just telling you what happens, and, and I maintain the same position. And if I get censored again, I get censored again, but I believe that there was something weird going on with that school shooting. I believe they're trying to find any reason they can to take our guns. And I believe I won't give it to them. I'd rather die. We need to arm school teachers who, who can be trained and proven that they're efficient with guns. We need to arm them. We need to arm pilots. If you can fly, if you can fly a plane, you can operate a 22, uh, pistol. Is this real life, Daniel? 
Man, I'm going to try and not, I'm going to try and not, like, it's, this is a tough one. Um, like, look, 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 we're, we're not here to talk politics, but when I saw this, I was like, WTF. And then my other thought is, are we getting to the point where the UFC goes enough is enough? Bryce Mitchell, here, here's your walking papers. It's, it's right up there. The thing with Bryce is like, whenever he doesn't talk about these controversial, when he, when he doesn't spout lies and misinformation, there's a lot to like about him as a person in terms of like his life on the farm, uh, being able to have success in this sport. But these comments are so awful that you feel that that may be a decision. And like, why are these comments awful? Well, the thing is, Bryce isn't talking about reality. He talks about how Ariel accused him of spreading misinformation. And in this clip, he is doing just that. Jason, within three seconds, he he knows all this stuff about government conspiracy, yet Bryce Mitchell doesn't even know that the town is pronounced Uvalde. He can't even get the pronunciation of the town right, but he knows there's a government conspiracy. Jason, in that clip, the word that was bleeped out was tranny, I believe, transsexual. He was talking about how he saw pictures of this person in a skirt or, or and whatnot. Bro, I Google, Uvalde shooter transgender. What's the first article I get? Two weeks ago, NBC News reports trans woman's photo used to spread baseless online theory about Texas shooter. A trans woman, her picture on her Instagram was used, and I guarantee you that's what Bryce Mitchell saw, and he just believes that happened. It's a different person, right? He's literally spreading misinformation. That's what Bryce Mitchell is doing. Bryce, I got news for you, buddy. You are not gonna have to die trying to defend your gun. They, no one's gonna take it. This is the way we live in a society. All we're gonna do, Jason, is just argue about the topic, and then nothing will happen, right? Like I've lived through so many damn mass shootings my entire life. I'm reserved to the thing that we won't really move on in a positive way. So nothing's gonna actually happen. But Bryce is just, oh, it's so upsetting, and it's upsetting to me because the Uvalde shooting in particular hits close to home, because you know. Uh, like uh, a couple times a year, I'll go up to Uvalde, Texas and be a part of a professional wrestling show as a commentator. When I turn on the news and I see one of the people who died, I see a picture of the kid at one of the shows I was at. At one of the shows I was at, the fourth grader was also there wow. and now he's dead. The I believe the gunman... Worked out of Wendy's in Uvalde. The very first time I went to Uvalde, the first meal I got before I got to the show, I went to a Wendy's. God only knows who was the one who gave me that burger. This is real life. You have children that are dead, and Bryce Mitchell doesn't have enough time to even get the damn town's name right, but he's using this thing to forward some BS uh, misinformation that the government's colluding. That's not what happened, Bryce. Live in reality. Bryce Mitchell is doing a thing, Jason, where he sees a story and without actually looking for facts, he applies his own opinion on it and creates a false reality that he's living in. 
And that's why I sit there and I go, if I'm the upper management of the UFC, and I know they want their fighters to be able to speak freely on how they feel, but it, it to me, it's just got to get to a point where you go, do you really want to be in the Bryce Mitchell business going forward? I mean, and, and you know, I, I saw when I was scrolling through my TikTok yesterday, and uh, if people didn't see the Matthew McConaughey stuff, and just, I mean, man, just tears dropping of he's 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 telling a story about um one of the the children that that passed away in the shooting and the fact of his the the father had just gotten a a job where he's making good money and his whole goal was he wanted to take his daughter to sea world and then someone else was telling me that i guess apparently matthew brought one of the shoes of one of the kids that passed away in the shooting like i mean it's just one of these things like i saw this story and i'm just like what world am I living in that, that, and I'm just sitting there like, if I'm the UFC, like I just look at this from a business aspect of going, why would you want to be in that business? Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, but he, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's very frustrating to, to get riled up like that, but it's just like, it's frustrating because you see someone who's just, it's like, he's just not living in reality. And it sucks because Bryce isn't the only one who sees the world that way. It's okay to have a difference in opinion. But we live in a world, Jason, where a lot of people just have chosen to not live in the real one. And they live online in these crazy places and everything they see is like, damn, you gave me a McDonald's and I didn't get extra ketchup it's probably a conspiracy theory from the uh, government yeah everything's a government conspiracy. it's insane have you jason have you seen our government work it really <laughs> doesn't yet they have the the ability to communicate to do Bruh. something like that insane bro the reason i'm laughing is uh-huh. i've got one of those people in my life they literally yeah. believe anything they watch on youtube yeah I yeah, mean, like, just bro, some of the yeah. craziest ass stuff that is said to me. I go, how gullible are you? Dude, it's and it's a lot of people who are like that. And I'm like, I'm not even that political. I, in fact, I would say I'm not political. I'm not a political person. I just want to get to a point, Jason, where we're all just living in the same world, Jason. I just, it would be great if we would all look at the sky and be like, that's kind of blue. No, no, no. But there's people that think the government made it blue. But, it's like, bro, the government doesn't work well. Okay. Dude, the, the best thing I saw on um, Twitter yesterday was uh, it was this clip where basically the, a Fox News person was railing on Matthew McConaughey. And the comment was, I wonder if they know his hometown is yeah that is uvalde texas yeah how far how far away are you from how far away are you from uvalde oh man i would say about five and a half hours if i had to do the math muscle menos i mean i usually leave at you know uh, 10 10 30 usually get there around 3 30 4 so about three and a half hours about five and a half hours usually when i go up there there's a long stretch of no lights and when we come back we just see an, an insane amount of uh deer and whatnot. So, you know, I look forward to going back to that community. And, uh, you know, one of my good friends runs the wrestling promotion there. And it's a very small community, bro. I mean, 16, 15,000 people. And uh-huh. all I got to say is, you know, hats off to that one man who uh, went, who was in, I believe he was in a barbershop and he got a text from his wife 
who was a teacher, and he got a rifle from the barber, I believe, and the bo- the border patrol agent. What a freaking hero, bro! I just yeah, it's a, it's a tough topic, but Bryce Mitchell got that one completely wrong, and I didn't listen to that interview, but I'm sure Brandon Schaub didn't do a good job of challenging him. No, uh, well, should, I, I basically. I, I read the article and then I, I skimmed through the interview, found it. So we play here here on the show. But man, it's just it's just one of those things that it, it's. I mean, I, I think we all see it every day, whether we're talking about whether it's on our, our Facebook timeline or um, our Twitter timeline or Instagram timeline, TikTok. To, you know, what, whatever it may be, we see these things that you just go, you just shake your head, go, "What am I seeing here?" Actually, yeah. I, I'll I'll tell you a a funny. I can't believe I saw this on my Facebook timeline um, this week. And, uh, you know, people lose their Instagram accounts because, you know, they get hacked. And then basically someone says, hey, give me $500 to get your Instagram account back. Um, So this happened to a OnlyFans model. You want to know how she got her account back? How? Headline from Daily Star. OnlyFans star slept with meta employees plural to get her banned Instagram account back. The quote uh, is I socially engineered a situation that was beneficial for me. I don't even know. That's wild. That is such an internet article. I do like, cause you know, like you scroll out your Facebook timeline, you get these articles that pop up that you you don't follow. I saw that dude. I cracked up. I screenshot it. I I put it in the group chat. I'm like, you guys will not believe this. Yeah, it's true. Every time you go on the internet, bro, you just never know what's going to be on the front page of Reddit or whatever. It's just the strangest stories, but that one, I don't even, I can't even comprehend like not even one person, multiple people. I mean, just make a new Instagram account. Like, I always feel like, are, are the meta employees going, hey, you're ruining our game here? Yeah, I know, right? Well, yeah, what does Mark Zuckerberg think of his employees, you know? Yeah. Does that story surprise you? No. No, it don't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, it kind of does. Like, I feel like I would just, again, make a new account. But who knows? Maybe the meta employees were hot. I knew, I know, I was actually with somebody, uh, a DJ here in the Tampa Bay area who lost his account and uh, basically was someone slid to his DMs and he ended up clicking a link and they got his account and they demanded uh, $500 to get his account back. Yeah, well, uh, if they get my account, it's okay. Mine's not worth 500 No, pay, no. I'll probably pay about $15. Uh, yeah, my, my thing, like when it comes to, like Instagram, and it, like TikTok, I'm just scrolling. I, I mean, I post a little bit on Instagram. I never, I don't post anything on on TikTok. I just TikTok, like for me, is a way just of like, just like kind of forget about what's going on in life and just watch some funny videos. Yeah, usually TikTok is uh, you know, I need to take a poop and uh, need to pass the time for five minutes. I mean, look, 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 I, you know, I mean, there's times I might spend 20 minutes on TikTok just scrolling, just scrolling, you know? Yeah. Well, you get, yeah, you, you quickly realize why so many young people are addicted to it. It it is socially engineered to get you to just keep on scrolling until you got arthritis in your right thumb. 
Oh, I know. It's absolutely nuts. Uh, But uh, let's move on to this week. We got UFC 275. We got two title fights. We also got a strawweight rematch. Of course, Glover Teixeira defending his light heavyweight title against Sherry Prochka. Also, Valentina Shevchenko defending the women's flyweight title against Thalia Santos. The rematch between Joanna and Wei Li. Also, uh, you got some uh, guys on this card that really interested to to see them perform. Manel Kopp will be one of them. Jack uh, Della, Madalena to me. is another one. We got a fighter on the card that uh, if you were just kind of just like briefly looking at the fight card, you might think that says Misha Tate, but it's Mahashate. Uh, Andre Fialho's on this card. I mean, he's like the new Donald Cerrone of the UFC. Let's just fight him every single month. But, uh, you know, obviously, Daniel, it is about the main event of Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prochka. Yuri Prochka, a two-to-one betting favorite in this one. And, you know, I, I think of... My introduction to Yuri Prochka goes back to 2015 when he was in the Ryzen tournament over there. And I was mentioning this before the show. When you go back and you look at that tournament, which was the Ryzen World Grand Prix 2015, here's some of the names that were in that tournament. Yuri Prochka, Vadim Nemkov, Bruno Capalazzo, who's the PFL heavyweight champion, King Mo Lawal, Valentin Moldovsky. I mean, you look at, you know, what? seven years since that tournament happened. And that was an amazing tournament. What ultimately turned out to be a great tournament back in 2015 with the name values where they are uh, at this point in their, their careers. Yeah, dude, we saw Yuri fight Nemkov, right? That's crazy. That's a crazy pool. And yeah, just a, a wild tournament, bro, with so many guys who are doing such great things. And again, maybe something we should rewatch whenever we have a slow week. But bro, ever since Prochaska lost that final to Luol, in 2015, well, Jason, he hasn't lost. <laughs> He's rode out win after win after win. He got to the UFC and two fights into the UFC after a hell of a run in Ryzen. He is standing across the cage from the champion. Doesn't this feel like a crowning for a champion? Like, doesn't this feel like this is Yuri's time? Bro, were you in my brain the, the past couple of days? Like, I, I, I think the word I used was... Uh... The uh, crown nation in terms of Yuri Prohoshka here. I mean, you almost one- got it. It's coronation. Coronation. Okay. All right. You know, grammar always not the best for me. Look, man, you went to Florida. Here in Texas, we have the finest education. <laughs> but like, I the one concern I do have about Yuri, he hasn't fought since May of last year. Now he has been using the past year or so to really work on the grappling side of this game, wrestling. Uh, he went to fight ready there uh, in in, uh, in Arizona, of course, uh, run by there by, by Henry Cejudo's gym there. Great training staff uh, that they have there at, at fight ready. So you do like it. And like to me, like I look at this and I feel like in a way the UFC is kind of setting this up because I think they, they look at what a title reign of Yuri could look like. I mean, he's an absolutely fun fighter to watch fight. Like as I think about this fight, he's got to keep this fight range. If you tell me if Glover's able to get make this a close range, you know, it, you know, clinching type matchup, you, you like Glover to share a, uh, in this one. I'm actually um, tomorrow, I believe it's tomorrow on Fight Pass. They're putting out this uh, video about Glover to Shara's how he got into the United States from leaving Brazil. I'm really, I'm really fascinated to to watch that story. But like Glover is a guy that I have continually said. I have not picked him in a fight. So you think I'm going to pick him in a fight here, right? Yeah. Nope. 
You're not going to. I, I like Yuri. I I think the speed, the range of Yuri is going to cause a lot of problems. I think Yuri is going to stop him within probably the first two to three rounds would be my guess here. Um, you know, but I also think that no matter who wins at UFC 275, I think the conversation of who the, who is the best light heavyweight in the world will strike back up again. Yeah, I think so. I think for Yuri, he represents someone that the UFC can get behind as a clear candidate for that honor because of how he's run through everyone because of his appearance, because of his performance on the feet and the run he's gone on of just finish after finish after finish. It's been 10 plus finishes in a row and he's just been amazing. This is a very tough fight to predict Jason. Um, it does feel like for Prochaska, this is, he's just the next one. The next big thing at two Oh five offensively on the feet. He's wildly impressive. And he would be one hell of a champion for John Jones to fight one day. I'm picking Glover in this fight. This is a tough prediction for me to make because for Glover Teixeira, he's not your stereotypical champion. It was surprising that he was able to accomplish that goal as a 40-some-year-old fighter. But he's always been incredibly talented, and it's amazing to see him peak at the right time. The reason why I'm picking Teixeira in this fight is because of how battle-tested he is, but in particular because of how good his grappling is. He's been in a lot of big-time fights. He will not be scared of Yuri on the feet, and he has fought dangerous strikers like this. So I believe Teixeira will be able to survive the stand-up onslaught and will be able to make this a grappling match, and that is where he will win this fight. That is my prediction, but it's a very scary prediction because Teixeira, it's very hard to climb to the top of the mountain and continue climbing. Look at Michael Bisping. There are a lot of champions that are like that, that older in age win the championship and then immediately kind of crumble. Teixeira's going up against an absolute monster athletically, and that's very scary. But I'm picking Teixeira to pull off the upset. Here's a crazy number for you, and I was surprised when I saw this earlier. The prop bet, Glover Teixeira wins by submission. If you are at a place where you can place a legal wager and, and say FanDuel Sportsbook is offered in your state, plus 420. I would smoke a doobie if I could, and I would uh, I would go plus 420 on that bet. That would be my pick. That would be what I think is going to happen. That's a, that's a hell of an appetizing bet, Jason. But, I mean, it's tough. The other thing about Yuri he got hit a couple times in his USC fights. Yeah. Like it wasn't like it was a, it wasn't like he was a pitcher throwing a perfect game on the feet. Striking defense left a little bit to be desired. That being said, I Glover, I don't think he's going to go in there and look to box as good as his standup is, but <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's worth mentioning. You, you, you think he's ready to play some jujitsu, bro? Is that what you're saying? I think he's looked at his uh, Logan Storley tape, his uh, Neiman Gracie tape, and uh, he's going to implement that part of his game. But yeah, man, we're, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, the no-brainer pick is Yuri, but I'm going against that, and I'm picking Glover. Yeah, I saw, a, God, I, I don't know if I'll be able to find it or not. I saw a great like um, thing that uh, Yuri said about jiu-jitsu. Uh, I'll be... Uh, I'll see if I can find it, but yeah, he, he just, I mean, look, I think we all know that is definitely the path for, for Glover share to win this matchup. Uh, co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko and Thalia Santos. 
I mean, well, look, what, what more can we say about Valentina Shevchenko? Um, you know, I think if she wins this one, I think probably the topic of conversation will be potentially maybe her going up to 35 and taking on the winner of Amanda Nunez and, and Juliana Pena. But, uh, like, to me, if I'm Thalia Santos, and, you know, I mean, look, she's a massive betting underdog in this one, 12-1 to 1 betting underdog, to me, you have got to make this dirty. And what I mean by that is you got to bring the damn fight to Valentina Shevchenko. You got to take risk because I think that's what it's going to take. You got to get this fight in close range and try to use some bombs in this one. Uh, I mean, look, the pick clearly is Valentina Shevchenko, but if I'm Thalia Santos, it's about uh, throwing everything against the wall and just making this a dog fight. Yeah, you know, Santos isn't your stereotypical challenger that we see sometimes with these dominant champions where it's just like, can anyone come in? Like Santos is really freaking good in a different world. She would have a real chance of maybe being a champion this weight class, but in this world, Valentina Shevchenko exists and there's just a massive gap. And we've seen out of Shevchenko as champion versus what we've seen out of Santos, but Santos coming off of this fight, I think still has a chance to be a part of the top contendership status because she's incredibly talented with only one loss in her resume. Uh, but yeah, I think people like Santos and Caitlin Chikagian and Jessica Andrade uh, really rooting for Shevchenko to move weight classes because she's just—I mean, she's the best fighter on the planet it is for the in, the in the women's divisions across the board, and the only threat to Shevchenko's reign is herself. Is did she not do the proper preparation? Is she complacent? Those are the types of things you got to look at when a fighter is as skilled as Shevchenko is. She entered the John Jones, Amanda Nunez zone years ago. And until she, that upset happens, you got to pick Shevchenko to win. And of course, you got the rematch between uh, Whaley and Yoana. This is a crazy stab about this fight, Daniel. The last time Yoana and Jay Chick had a fight, John Jones fought a month prior. Yeah, it's crazy, but, you know, it has been a while, and obviously her last fight was the fight against Zhang, and one of the best fights of that year in 2020. Um, I'm picking Whaley to win this fight, Jason. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Since fighting Ioana, you know, Whaley has not looked awesome (laughs) against Rose Damiunas, but uh, to me, she's more... What worries me about Ioana is she, to me, from the outside looking in, has kind of taken her foot off the gas pedal in this sport, whereas Wei Li has just dug in and I think she's really motivated to, to win here. So I, I like, I think Wei Li will win here on the feet. I, I mean, look, I expect this fight to go all three rounds. I think the first round plays out kind of as a, a feeling out process. I mean, of course, yeah, I remember the first fight was a five round fight. This is only a three round fight. And then I kind of expect second, third round to kind of uh, mimic what we saw back in their first matchup. I mean, that, that should be a great one. And uh, a lot of questions marked to you on. She's got her new contract. That was kind of part of the reason why she was out so long. She steps in here. Uh, as I look at the rest of this card, I kind of mentioned uh, Jack Dell, uh, Madalena, someone that interests me. In terms of there are there is one underdog on this fight card that I find very intriguing. He's an over two to one betting underdog in his matchup. If he wins, it's him utilizing his wrestling. And that is Jacob Malcoon taking on Brennan Allen. Uh, that to me is an interesting underdog. I think Jack, Jake Matthews is other potentially under, uh, interesting underdog if he can use his grappling. But uh, I, I do think for the most part, it's going to be Chalk City on uh, on Sunday morning in Singapore. Yeah, I agree with you. I think without a doubt, the the the, Ma- the Madalena fight versus Ramazan Amiv 
is like the the most interesting fight outside of the top three because a lot of people are high on Madalena and I am one of them. Really fun striker to watch fight. The question mark I have with him, though, is what happens if he gets put on his back. That, to me, is the big question mark with him. But um, And Ameev can be that type of guy, but I do like Madalena to win there. Of course, that'll be UFC 275. Of course, uh, Saturday night here in the United States, uh, over there in Singapore, Sunday morning, 6.30 a.m. local time start uh, here in the United States. That'll be a 6.30 p.m. Eastern time start for the early prelims. Of course, uh, then, of course, pay-per-view will be at 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Daniel, before we get out of here on this week's edition of the podcast, do want to uh, play two sound bites from UFC President Dana White as he appeared on the Spinning Backfist podcast on Barstool Sports. And, you know, Daniel, last week we talked about the comments that Dyson Figueredo had made that not happy about the interim title fight. And uh, so Dana White was asked about it, Daniel, and I just chuckled when I heard this comment. And you've got Figueredo talking about coming up because he's apparently very frustrated with the interim title situation. Did you see his comments about that this week? That who did? Davidson Figueredo. No, what did he say? He's very upset that an interim title uh, is being talked about in his division. He can't believe it. And he's saying he's threatening basically to move up to bantamweight because of it. Cool. <laughs> like, I mean, that's like Dan's like, okay, all right, whatever. Uh, that's that's such a Dana thing to pretend like he hasn't heard that. I mean, you think Dave? You think Dana hasn't heard that? It would not shock me if he's not heard it. It wouldn't shock so. me. I now, mean, guess- now, okay. Do the matchmakers know that? Oh, clearly the matchmakers. Yeah. My this would be my guess on a lot of situations. I bet Dana White is handed a packet of meat articles every day that have these type of things in them. Yeah, yeah, but that is. Uh, Unfortunately for Figueroa, I think what's displayed there is she doesn't have much leverage against the UFC. Yeah, it's like, bro, they did it to the UFC heavyweight champion. You think yeah. they really care if they do it to the flyweight champion? Really? Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Uh, also, uh, Dana White was asked about the Alton fighter and whether he would be interested in having retired fighters as coaches for the reality show. Speaking of the Ultimate Fighter, you said the Ultimate Fighter one kids. You, you know, they're your babies, basically. Would you ever consider doing an Ultimate Fighter with retired fighters? Because right now we have Khabib and Tony going back and forth, and it seems like they want to host the Ultimate Fighter against each other, which came out of left field, but it actually sounds like a good idea to me. Do you like it? I like it. Yeah. So, so you're telling me you guys, as fans, media, whatever it might be. Like the idea of two guys possibly coaching that wouldn't fight each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I think the McGregor-Faber season was awesome. I'll consider it. All right. Just, yeah, make it a, make it a note. I, I think I think it would be worth looking into. I, think, I mean, with the right guys. And I think yeah, those two are the right guys. They, they would make sense. Okay. And Tony. I, I, will, be, I will absolutely entertain that idea. And Tony Habib bickering is some of the There's almost like some, uh, like, so, yeah, some like leftover tension. So yeah. probably a yeah, little well, bit. Well, hopefully they'll get pissed off enough at each other that they actually want to fight. And I can make yeah. it. <laughs> that makes it even better. See, you're, you're, it's like a, it's like a backdoor way to get Khabib back in. You're like, yeah, just come around fighting, you know? Yeah. So here's my first thought about that comment, Dan, Daniel. Like Dana had never thought of this before of having retired fighters or people who maybe necessarily weren't active fighters be coaches. Like, come on. Like I, like if you told me Habib and Tony were coaches, it would, that would intrigue me to pop that show on. Absolutely. That would just to see Habib back again. Yeah. I I'm surprised, 
But also, you know, there's so many things the UFC's got going on. Like, there's literally these four Road to the UFC events that are happening this week, right? Like, there's so much things. You got to think Dana White doesn't wake up every morning and think, how to save the ultimate fighter. I think Dana White knows that the ultimate fighter is the ultimate fast foodification of this sport. Like, Like, he probably does not care. It's just content, bro. But as I was watching his interview with uh, the Barstool Sports guys, it made me it made me kind of think about is I'm actually kind of surprised the UFC has not basically put together their own grappling league to where they utilize, you know, all these, you know, older stars of the UFC. Like, could you imagine, like, what if you got together the cast of the Ultimate Fighter 1 and you did a grappling tournament? Yeah, it would be interesting to see uh, those names again. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be an interesting idea for content that I would probably watch for a little bit. And I, I would be down for that because there are now so many names that are retired that I think people are interested in and would check back up on. And fortunately, with jujitsu, that's a sport that they can do for a very long yeah. time and you won't have any guilt about watching them compete versus the bare knuckle sport. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I don't know if you saw this. John Dotson, add him to the uh, list of former UFC fighters who've gone bare knuckle. Get that money, brother. Get that money. Dude, it's it's crazy, man. Like, I mean, like, look, I, I get it, man. If you're a fighter, you go make your money. But, God, who was I talking to recently? And I asked them if they do bare knuckle. And they're like, hell no, and I would not do that. God, man, it was a UFC fighter. I forget who it was, but yeah, they basically said, yeah, hell no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't want to do it either. I don't know it hurt your face, but it hurt your hands. Yeah, bare knuckle, they just, God, what was it? I saw it come up on Facebook. It was like maybe the four-year anniversary of that promotion uh, doing their first event. Wow, wow, and they've done like 4,700. It seems like they have like two, two or three events a month. I know, yeah, often in all the states that have poor regulations. Well, that, that clearly tells you how much money they're making. I mean, clear, yeah. I mean, if you're doing that many events, it, it has to be a moneymaker. Yeah, it has to be a live event in business that's doing well or something. You know, like, I would tell you, man, I, I want to, I'm hoping, you know, and like, uh, I was listening to the interview that Dana White gave Pat McAfee, and Pat McAfee kind of, you know, alluded to the fact of, hey, with them going to Singapore and, and, and all the, you know, the different markets that they're going to, basically, he's like, hey, do you feel like the world's opened up? And Dana's like, eh, I don't know about that. And, uh, and like, like, I'm looking forward to, uh, I think the CFFC is coming back here to Tampa sometime soon. Um, I, I'm looking forward to days of when, like, there's good regional promotions coming back here in Tampa and, and just going out and enjoying the fights. Like, I, I love going to regional. I, I, and I don't go to cover. I just go there to sit there, have some beers, you know, watch some fights with the boys and get entertained by not just what's happening in the cage, but the interactions throughout the crowd. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely great, and I, you know, I hope we get back there. And I feel like we basically are, but just to get back to that consistency of those shows, you know, it would be great. But yeah, especially in Florida, I feel like you're already there, man. Now yeah, we're pretty wide open. A, yeah, <laughs> it's just a matter of those promotions that went down getting back up and, we, and running. Yeah, we just don't, um, you know, for a long time, the RFC was a regional promoter here that was doing things, but they have not done um, – 
the venue they used got bought and, and I think was getting turned into some type of housing project. And uh, they, they pretty much just went away. There's a couple of amateur shows, but not really any uh, pro shows come here to Tampa. I mean, it's just um, at one time, it seemed like Tampa was kind of a, a pretty hopping regional scene, but uh, there's just not much going on here. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think that is in like a lot of areas and, and maybe, you know, we've seen a difference in the types of promotions. A lot of these promotions, as I mentioned in the beginning, are now like these fighter founded promotions and uh, a lot of it's just developmental leagues maybe founded by people who are affiliated with gyms getting their fighters fights that's that's a big part of it you know that that's where you see i mean and look it's just it's it's a regional mma business and 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 i think also the thing is like i mean you you look at you know if you have ufc fight pass or any of these streaming services there's just there's so much mma to take in on a weekend you know, like even, you know, what was it? You know, two weeks ago, we didn't have a UFC. There was like, there were like four events on UFC Fight Pass. I mean, there, yeah. there was, there's always some type of MMA content to take in. Without a doubt. It's every single day. It's changed so much since we first started covering this sport. Man, dude, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, God, as I think about where this sport was in 2009, yeah. you know when Redney was still in this sport? Yeah, yeah. Scott yeah. Coker was running Strike Force. Yeah. I mean, we, we were not in a streaming world back then. No, no. We watched everything on pay-per-view or, uh, or on Spike TV. Like, I mean, you, you just, you think about like, I mean, I've been a cord cutter for years and yeah. like, how many people do you know who actually have traditional cable or satellite? Just the older people in my life. I don't think I know anyone. Okay. I, I do know, and you're correct, older people in your life. My parents have it. My grandmother has it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everyone but, else in my life is cord cutters, bro. Yeah, but now everyone who's cut the cord is starting to be like, damn, all these streaming services are adding up a lot like cable. Bro, like, I don't know if I could name uh, Let me see here. Okay, so I've got, I've got YouTube TV, which basically, essentially, I have it just for live sports in all reality. So then I've got, uh, I've got the, uh, the Disney bundle. So it gives me, uh-huh. Di- I got Disney plus ESPN plus and Hulu without ads. Yeah. I have Paramount, uh, Paramount plus or Paramount network, whatever it's called. Uh, let's see what else do I have. UFC fight pass. Which I think is there anything else. I'm sure there is that you don't know about that's just leeching off your bank account. We don't we don't have net we haven't had Netflix in a while. Oh wow. Yeah, I still have Netflix. Um I think that's it. Yeah. Hey, you're 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 doing well for yourself. Okay, I, I I have HBO Max, but I get that for free being a uh ATT wireless unlimited customer. Well then that doesn't count. As long as it's not Okay, okay. Uh, but then do I count like Spotify? Yeah, you do. Okay, your bank, Spotify. Your bank does. Your bank does. Uh but then I've got this Apple bundle. So I've got Apple Music, Apple Arcade, the uh, the iCloud, and whatever else. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot of up. subscriptions, man. It adds up. They figured out the formula to get money out of our pockets. Yeah, but then, then there's always some new subscription service that comes up. You're like, oh, I want to watch that. Oh, crap. That's another 10 bucks a month. Yeah, then I'll forget to cancel. Yeah. Yeah. No good. No good. Uh, 
but that's the world we live in now, bro. Yep, the world of OnlyFans. <laughs> I, I I'm telling you, I would love to know how much people in the MMA community make off OnlyFans. And how much more is that money than they make for their fights? Yeah, that would be interesting to know because uh, I bet it's a whole lot. I saw someone speculate. They were talking about Felice Herrick. Yeah. Thinking that she makes 20 times the amount of money she makes on OnlyFans than she does fighting. Wow. I was like, holy crap. Who knows if that's true or not? I don't know. Yeah, the tax man's interested, but that's about it. Oh, yo, yeah, yeah. The tax man comes regardless of what your name is. Yeah. Like yeah. I just I just saw uh, uh, the Chrisleys just got uh, nailed on tax fraud, facing 30 years in prison, bro. Oh, my I've God. Seen, I've seen that show, bro. He ain't going to survive in prison, bro. He no, better be in club fed. That, no. Yeah, he's. Uh, he will not survive, bro. He will not survive. <laughs> no. I don't think I can not. survive, bro. I, I'm not about that life. I guarantee you I wouldn't either. Holy crap. 30 years. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Absolutely crazy. But, uh, but that is going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MMA report podcast. Of course, appreciate everyone taking time out of the day, download, listen, watch this episode. Of course, a uh, great way to share your support for the show. Uh, leave a rating review on the podcasting platforms, uh, subscribe on YouTube, hit that like button, leave comments, uh, leave comments. We'll definitely answer you in the comment section. So that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA report podcast, which comes out every Wednesday in your favorite podcasting platform and on the MMA Report YouTube channel.